Today we're going to look at the, the sinful nature lie. Uh, there's this lie going around the body of Christ. It's been propagated since about Augustine's time uh, that men are born with a sinful nature. So we're going to take a look at this lie today and see what the, actually the Bible has to say about this and uh, maybe look at some proof text and just use some really good logic when it comes to it because God, God's the author of logic. God gave us logic. Where we get logic from? So let's, let's define some terms to start out with. Uh, nature can have basically have two different meanings to it. The first one um, is, which is what we're really going to deal with today, is our body, how we are made, um, how we are born, uh, what we are involuntarily, you know, and our nature involves like our free will, uh, the fact that we have a conscience given to us by God, we can't choose that or not, uh, our emotions, that we actually have emotions, that we have intellect, that we have logic and reason, that's all part of our nature. Uh, if you go beyond that, you can say, uh, you know, the way you're born, with what color eyes you're born with, hair, skin color, um, even down to your genetics, and you know, some people are born without an arm. That's part of their nature. Uh, so that's the first definition of nature is how we are born. It's involuntary. We have no choice in the matter. The second definition is the content of our character. It's what we are actually like. You know, I've often heard people say, like for example, about a sports figure like Michael Jordan. You know. He's just a natural-born basketball player. Well, they don't mean he came out of the womb playing basketball. They don't mean he came out of the womb having the ability to dunk, the ability to, uh, to shoot the basketball at a certain rate and score th over 30 points a game over his career. That's not what they mean. They mean it's so natural to him. But the question becomes, how did it become natural to him? Well, it became natural to him through his practice, through his effort over time. That's the same way it happened with sinners. You know, so if you're talking about an unconverted sinner having a sinful nature in, this, in the situation of the second definition I'm giving you here, that the content of their moral character is sinful, and in that way they have a sinful nature, then I totally agree. But that's not what most people think when, or believe when they're talking about the sinful nature. And in fact, they'll use verses like Ephesians 2.3, uh, to back up man having a sinful nature. In Ephesians 2, 3, it says nothing about birth, nothing about babies, nothing about Abney. It's simply talking about adult human beings and the content of their character. But people who believe in the sinful nature lie, they'll apply Ephesians 2, 3 to the first definition I gave you of nature, which is the way you're born, you're in, it's involuntary. You have no choice in the matter. But these same people who believe the sinful nature, according to Ephesians 2.3, the way they use it and interpret Ephesians 2.3 is the way you're born. They neglect like Romans 2.14. And I'll let you look it up for yourself. I'm not going to take the time to read those. But you can look it up for yourself and see uh, that by nature, if you know, we have a conscience, it tells it accuses us when we do uh, uh, wrong and it excuses us when we do right. And it says in Romans 2.14 that Gentiles who do by nature the things contained in the law. So what are you going to do with that? And, and Galatians talks about Jews who are not sinners by nature like the Gentiles. So now Jews born without the sinful nature, but Gentiles are. So it's talking about the content of their character, the way they're brought up. Um, so we define nature, two different definitions once again. How we're born, involuntary, we can do nothing about it. And the second one is the content of our character. 
But today, like I said, I'm going to deal with mostly the first definition, which is the, the way we're born involuntary, because that's the one that people seem to be using when they use the words sinful nature. All right, let's define sin. So we define nature, let's define sin now. Uh, what I say in Scripture is four different verses that can really give us a good definition of sin here. First uh, John chapter 3, verse 4, sin is transgression of the law. Okay? Uh, James 4, 17, he who knows to do the good, he... Uh, he knows to do good and doesn't do it, he sins. Uh, so that it takes knowledge, understanding to be able to sin. Uh, Romans 14, 23 talks about sins of conscience. You know, God may tell me to go be a missionary over in Africa. If I don't do that, I'm being disobedient. It's a sin to me. But God doesn't tell you that, and you don't go to be a missionary over in Africa. It's not a sin to you. Uh, and then there's uh, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned, E.D., past tense, and fallen short of the glory of God. And just the, 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 the word... Uh, that is translated as sin in the Greek is hamartia, which means to miss the mark. And the mark obviously is God's law, it's perfection. So it goes back to 1 John 3, 4 and James 4, 17. And also Romans 14, 23. Okay, now, now comes the question. Now we define nature, we define sin. The question becomes now, is sinful nature in the Greek? And the answer is no. In fact, the, uh, the only Bible, I, I looked at several different Bibles, the only Bible I could find that actually even had the words sinful nature in the English is the NIV. And unfortunately, it's what led me to believe in a sinful nature for quite some time, uh, for a quite a period of time in my Christian life, because I had the NIV first. And, and I read sinful nature, like for example, in Romans 7, so I believed what it said. But when I looked into the Greek, I saw that the, actually the word that is used uh, in the Greek is the Greek word sarks. And all it simply means is flesh. That's all it means. And there's no word sinful before sarks when, when they translate a sinful nature in NIV. Uh, it just sarks. It's flesh, the way you're born. It's, it's the first definition of nature, which I already gave you. Um, so the NIV translates as sinful nature, like in Romans 7 quite a few times, but what it actually means is just flesh. And they're really inconsistent in their translation of, uh, translating of the word sark from the Greek into the English. Sometimes they'll translate it sinful nature, like in Romans 7, uh, because obviously the translators believe that uh, Paul is talking about a sinful nature he had. So that, that's just an interpretation of the Greek, it's not a translation of the Greek. Uh, so that they, they start, so these people who are translating the NIV start with the same premise the Gnostics had that the flesh is inherently sinful, that we have a sinful flesh. Uh, and, of course, the Gnostics went about it a different way than, than you know, modern-day Christians would. The Gnostics would say, well, because we have a flesh, a sinful nature, um, you know, therefore Christ, who came in human form, was really not in the flesh, because if he came in the flesh, Christ himself was a sinner. And if Christ is a sinner, he can't save us from our sins. But people nowadays, they don't take that point of view, of course, because it's been deemed heresy long ago. The whole book of 1 John deems it as heresy. But you know, just to kind of see uh, how, these, how these NIV translators are inconsistent, let's just go to 1 John uh, chapter 4. And let's read it real quick. And see what this says. And I'll read to you what it says. I'm reading New King James, but NIV translates it the same way as far as the word sarks we're dealing with here. Um, I'm reading from the New King James, but I'll read it how it actually is translated, and then I'll translate it like the NIV should translate it if they were consistent in their translation. First uh, John chapter four, verses two, verse two and three. By this you know the Spirit of God. 
Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So that's how it really reads. That's how it should be translated. That's a, a good translation of the Greek word sarx. You saw it used there twice, translated as flesh. Uh, but now I'm going to take the NIV translators and make them be consistent. And I'm going to translate flesh here, the Greek word sarx, as sinful nature. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the sinful nature is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the sinful nature is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming, is now already in the world. So, if we're consistent here, if you don't say Christ had a sinful nature, uh, you're the Antichrist, you're not of God. But if you do say he has a sinful nature, then you are of God, you're not an Antichrist. Uh, let's look at one more verse, uh, 2 John and verse 7. No chapters in 2 John. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Let's go back and read it again. Let's make the NIV translation be consistent here. The only translation that I know of, major translation, that uses the words sinful nature in the English. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the sinful nature. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So, if you don't confess that Jesus has come in the sinful nature, you're a deceiver and an antichrist. So that, that's what it'd be like if you're a consistent NIV translator translating the Greek word sarx into the English. But we know they don't do that. So they kind of try to skirt around the issue. Uh, but it's like a semi-gnosticism to say that our flesh is sinful. And John thoroughly dealt with these people in 1 John and 2 John uh, because he, he ran into them quite often. And most people have heard of the Gnostic, the Gnostic Gospels, etc. So, uh, but, you know, the literal translation of the New King James, the King James, the NASB, the ESV, and I really only use the New King James myself, none of these use the word, in fact, I just did a word search a little while ago on the NASB just to make sure, sinful nature, not once, not in the whole Bible, an NASB translation. So, the only major translation I know that does is the NIV. So be very careful about that. So then how, how do they get around this, you know, Jesus having a sinful nature? I mean, the scriptures do say that Jesus was just like us in relation to our human nature, right? So let's, let's look at some verses that talk about that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2. And this is going to talk about the fact that Jesus uh, and his human nature, the human part of him, was just like we are in our human nature as far as the way we're born. Involuntary, though we're made. Okay, not talking about the content of our character. The content of Christ's character was never sinful. So I'm not talking about that. Once again, going with the first definition here. Hebrews 2.14 Inasmuch then as the children had partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So inasmuch as the children had partaken of flesh, sarks, and blood, he himself, Jesus, Likewise, shared in the same, in the same, not a different flesh, in the same. Jump ahead a couple of verses, let's go to verse 17. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of his people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. 
So it says, therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren. Okay? And it says, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. So it's, it's drawing comparison there, and it says the reason why he's able to aid us when we're tempted is because he was tempted himself. And, but if we're tempted by a sinful nature, and he was not, how is he able to help us, according to what this verse is saying here? Then skip ahead to Hebrews 4, and verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Read it again. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. In all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Okay? So, how, how do the people who believe in the sinful nature nowadays get around this? They're not Gnostics, because I don't really know any Gnostics today, um, because they were already condemned. So they come up with ideas like, for example, the Immaculate Conception of Mary. They'll say, well, well Mary, she was born sinless. That's how Jesus can be born sinless, without a sinful nature. Mary didn't have a sinful nature. But, but that's just ridiculous. I mean, where is that found in the Bible uh, that Mary didn't sin? I mean, the Bible does say all have sinned, so obviously she's included in that. She's an adult. She's not a child, and I'll get to that later. Um, so that's out the window. That's usually really just a Catholic conception. More than, not many Protestants that I know of believe that. Uh, then there's this idea that sin is passed, the sinful nature is passed down through the semen of the man. But, but where is that found in the Bible? I mean, if that's true, let's, let's take the semen out of the man... Let's put on our microscope, let's, let's remove the sinful nature from it, and then let's impregnate a woman from that, artificial insemination. Because then the person will be born without a sinful nature. Uh, and then there's the virgin birth, and of course I believe that, I agree with that, that there, it was a virgin birth, but they say that the reason there was a virgin birth is because Christ didn't want to have a sinful nature. But the problem you have with that is that you still have Mary who has a sinful nature, so Christ would have to at least have half a sinful nature, even with the virgin birth. And for people to say the reason that we have a virgin birth is because Christ wouldn't have a sinful nature if there was a virgin birth, it's just, uh, you know, it's just conjecture. It's nowhere found in the Bible that that's why the virgin birth was. In fact, Isaiah 7.14 tells us why uh, God was going to make Christ born of a virgin, to be a sign to the people of Israel to be assigned to them. And of course, because simply because uh, God the Father is the Father of Jesus. It's just as simple as that. But it had nothing to do with a sinful nature, nothing to do with Christ potentially being born with a sinful nature or being born a sinner or anything like that. So people are start with this premise that we have a sinful nature and it can be passed on, so they have to make up all these other unbiblical false doctrines that kind of make sure that Christ isn't born with a sinful nature. What they're willing to do is check their premise their first starting point of us being born with a sinful nature to see if that's right or not. Because it's not right. Oftentimes I hear people say, well, that's why everyone sins, because we all have a sinful nature. We're, we sin because we're sinners. And that's just ridiculous. I mean, with that kind of logic, it would lead us to say that Adam and Eve themselves had a sinful nature, and that's why they sinned. Uh, it would also lead us to say that, that Lucifer and a third of the angels who fell, had a sinful nature, and that's why they sinned. But just like us, the reason Adam and Eve sinned, and the reason Lucifer sinned, was because they used their free will wrongly. 
that's it. Um, I mean, well, I mean, if you're if you're not going to take that position, what's the difference between the third of the angels who fell and the two thirds who d who didn't fall? I mean, did God make the third of the angels who fall with a sinful nature, and the two thirds who didn't fall without a sinful nature? I, I mean, if, if that's if, if they had if God did that, then then whose fault is it? The third of the angels fell. It's God's fault. <laughs> and and whose whose fault is it that the two thirds of the angels didn't fall? It's God's fault. You know, so if God gave them their nature, it isn't their fault that they fell. It's God's fault that they fell. Um, not only that, but who gives human beings their nature? According to the first definition, not the content of moral character definition, but the involuntary, the way they're born definition. Who gives them that? I mean, doesn't the Bible say that we're made in the image of God? Doesn't the Bible say that we're fearfully and wonderfully made by God? Doesn't the Bible say that we are knitted together in our mother's womb by God? And if we are made in the image of God, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made by God, and if we are made or knitted together in our mother's womb by God, and we do have a sinful nature, then it must, therefore, logically speaking, be given to us by God. And do you, I mean, do you see where this leads? This leads to God being the author of sin. And I'm not, I'm not talking about God uh, being someone who can use sin for his glory, because he does use sin for his glory at times. He can make the good come out of it. Or I'm not talking about a God who allows sin. I'm talking about a God who uh, is the author of sin, who gives us a sinful nature, and then holds us accountable for going according to our nature, which is just ridiculous. God forbid. God is holy, holy, holy. God is angry with the wicked every day, the Bible says. Angry with the wicked every day. Is God now the author of his own anger as well? God forbid. You know, so, so why is it that all men, since the beginning of time, have chosen to sin at some point in time? <laughs> Well, the answer is simply because all men have been tempted uh, to sin, and all men have chosen to sin out of their own free will. They've all been using their free will wrongly. Also, another supposed proof that I've heard for a sinful nature is that children are selfish, and you don't have to teach them to be this way. I hear this quite often. First of all, You'll never see a baby, a toddler, or a child called a sinner, called wicked, or called totally depraved uh, in the Bible, or by God. <laughs> never. What you do see in the Bible, and you see God saying, is that people are sinners from their youth. <clears throat> now the word youth uh, doesn't mean baby, it doesn't mean toddler, it doesn't mean child. As some people I've heard on YouTube will say, uh, some popular preachers out there today who have these sermons that people have placed on YouTube, they'll say that this word youth actually means baby or from birth. What a lie that is. And I'll let you look into it for yourself. What a lie that is. I mean, either this person is being ignorant of the facts and is just preaching lies, or he knows a lie and he's preaching a lie anyway. And he's repent if he's doing that. But... I'm going to probably do another video later on on that whole issue about being sinners from youth. I'm not going to get to that right now. 
But the reason that babies, toddlers, and children aren't considered or called sinners by God or in the Bible is because they have no intellectual understanding, no mental knowledge of right and wrong. A sin is a morally wicked choice by a knowledgeable moral agent. Okay? So, uh, therefore, babies, toddlers, and children don't even qualify to be sinners. Uh, either are mentally handicapped people. So, in other words, the person has to have the mental understanding, the intellectual comprehension of morality in order to be accountable before God for making moral choices. Babies, toddlers, children, mentally handicapped, etc., don't have this knowledge or understanding, so they can't be called sinners. They may even do things uh, that be considered sinful if you know someone who is morally accountable uh, has come to the state of accountability. Would state of accountability would do it themselves, like lying or stealing or being selfish. If we did, it'd be called a sin. But if they do; they're not considered sinners because they're not to that point yet. So. In my mind, there's really uh, probably only three reasons why children do things that we would consider sinful. And none of them have to do anything called a sinful nature or being born a sinner. First, they are taught to sin directly through nurture. This is a parent or, or uh, a sibling or some kind of relative or friend teaching them to sin. Uh, by directly teaching them stuff. They know they're doing it, and they're doing it anyway. Directly teaching them to sin. Uh, number two, they are taught indirectly to sin uh, through nurture, whether through parents, family members, friends, whatever, uh, by a lack of training and discipline on the part of the parents or those who are taking care of them. Uh, and I see this all the time. I mean, a child is told no, not to do something, and the parent does not follow up with it. The, the child therefore knows that the parent doesn't, uh, doesn't really mean what he's saying. And then the, fourth, the child starts in this, uh, this track of dis, uh, rebellion against their parents because their parents aren't teaching that they really mean what they say. So they start in this, this pattern of, of rebellion. And because the parents aren't putting a stop to it, and the longer they wait, the, the farther it's going to go. The harder it'll be to stop it. It's like a train wreck. Uh, it's the parent's fault. It's not the child's fault that's not being disciplined and trained properly. <clears throat> it's the parent's fault. And number three, they are tempted just like everyone else in this sinful world we're in, and they choose to give in to temptation. And that's simply the way it is. Those are the three options. And in my opinion, most times that children sin, it goes back to the parents. It goes right back to the parents. Uh, either the parents, like I said, teach them directly, uh, or they allow someone else to teach them directly, which means they're not taking care of them like they should. The parents are teaching them indirectly or allowing someone else to do that because they're not taking care of them like they should. Or, even with the third option, a lot of times the parents are putting the child in a position of temptation they shouldn't be put into so that the parents aren't taking care of the children like they should. But a sinful nature lie is just another way for parents to be lazy and to have an excuse and just say, well... You know, they're just born that way. I can't help it. That's just ridiculous. You know, Jesus and the Bible's view of children is never as sinful. I mean, just go read uh, two, two verses, uh, or three or four verses. Matthew 18, 3, go read that. And go read Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15 for yourself. So Matthew 18, 3 and Matthew 19, 13 through 15. 
and see how what Jesus' view of children is. And, that, and seeing Jesus' view of children will show you what God's view of children is. But one sound principle of hermeneutics is simply to interpret our experiences in light of the scripture, not the other way around. And too many people who are using this you know, second objection saying, well, no one teaches children to be sinful. They're just naturally that way. They're interpreting the Bible in light of their experience. And really, they're not thinking things through very properly. I mean, they just think about these three things I just gave. They'd see that children really are taught to sin in some, uh, some degree. So you need to interpret the scripture uh, or interpret your experience in light of scripture. You don't make up truth, no, truth uh, in light of your experiences and then interpret the scripture in light of your experiences. That's just ridiculous. So the fact of the matter is, no one is born a sinner and no one is born with a sinful nature. Simply put, every person who has come to the state of accountability has chosen to sin at some point in time out of their own free will. That's, that's all there is to it. There's nothing that makes them sin or forces them to sin. There's temptation, there's influence around them. But influence and temptation are not causation and they're not force. And because man has free will, and because they've all chosen to sin out of their own free will, not because of causation or force, that precisely is why God will hold them accountable for their sins in the end. If they didn't have free will, if they were forced to sin, if they were born sinners, they wouldn't be responsible for their sin, they wouldn't be able to be held accountable for their sin, uh, at least not justly. So hopefully you can see the sinful nature lie is just that. It's a lie. And uh, it's not a lie to get people to make excuses for their sins, but the Bible makes it very clear that sinners will have no excuse before God on Judgment Day. Any kind of theology that gives any kind of sinner any kind of excuse for their sins needs to be rejected. Because God, you, sinners will have no excuse on Judgment Day. They'll have no excuse. So uh, hopefully you'll look into this for yourself and see the truth, and I pray God reveals the truth to you. And uh, if you have questions, feel free to post comments, and I'll get to them as quickly as I can. God bless.